Samuel 15. Hallelujah. And I just heard God speak to me really clearly. It's interesting how he, that happens when you're not uh, expecting it. How many of the word of the Lord can come to us? This is what he said. This is, I believe this is for everybody, but especially the Sale Church, which is all of us here, and those of us that are looking to enter more and more in this dimension. Is that a, is that a flashlight? Come on, man. They're going to have to pray for my eyes if you... Is the temperature better for you guys? Feels a little better? Hey, I heard, I'm telling you, the Lord really spoke just now. I just heard him really clearly. He said, many of us, well, I'll just say it. He, he said, you've passed the test of failure. You've passed the test of failure. But now you're going to have to pass the test of, of success. And I started thinking, Lord, what do you mean by that? And you know, when we are plowing and pushing and pressing and things aren't working, you know, we have every opportunity to quit. And I'm sure my brothers feel the same way. I've, I've quit the ministry so many times, but I show up every Sunday. I'm never doing this again. I'm sick of this. And I show up. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So you go, you go through these things. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is a great preparer. He's not only, you know, we talk a lot about, I've been talking because this is a healing training. And it's really, the emphasis of the training is how to minister healing. But again, I'm saying this to you again. We don't have time to go into all the teaching on faith for yourself because that's just as important. In fact, there was a testimony. William Branham was ministering, and somehow he and Kenneth Hagen were actually basically in the same building, but ministering at different times, and they didn't know it. I mean, they knew that each other was there, but they didn't know that the meetings were booked at both places. So, of course, Branham has this really, most of the time, well, that's all he did was operate in the word of knowledge. He, he got really crazy when he taught. His doctrine was, it was terrible. It was awful. He'd hear an ambulance and he'd point at the ladies and say, see, that's your fault. Because your wife's sin came in the world. Right? I mean, that's, so how many want to go to his meetings? <laughs> He's, I mean, he had, Ray was telling me he, he had uh, Alexander the Great fighting Hitler and stuff. I mean, he was, he was all mixed up. But when he operated in his gift, he was accurate. So what happened was, and, and this is interesting too, because he really, he really didn't have a gift of healing. He had a word of knowledge, and he'd, you know, he'd tell you, just start to minister to you and describe all the details about you. Then he would say, now, if God would show me all that, don't you think he wants you to get healed? Yeah, and then their, their faith would make him well. So that's how he operated. So what happened was, was he, he would minister, and this one particular lady, he called out, minister to her, word of knowledge, and she gets healed. And then after she was healed, 
she didn't know how to stand on the word, and the sickness came back on her. And she got sick again with the same thing. And then she goes back to the meeting, and he ministers again. Some, this is, I, I, I don't know how long of the interval it was, so you know the story? Maybe it's, maybe it's I don't know if it was a long time, short time. But, but basically what happened again, he ministered again, and she got healed. And then she lost it again. Now this is really important, because if you don't understand this, you're going to get really frustrated. Let me say this to you. First of all, don't let the devil ever put condemnation on you and say, well, you can't minister healing because you're struggling with something. That's a lie. Because the soul that waters shall be watered. And whatever you sow, you will reap. Anybody who believes in healing and has ministered healing has at one time or another done it while you're sick. I've preached with a fever. I've preached with all kinds of stuff hitting my body. But you don't bow to that. You press beyond that. So don't, so don't ever let the, the enemy say, well, you're struggling with something, and therefore you, know, you can't do that. No, because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So if you, if you minister healing, you're going to reap healing. Is that okay? So anyway, this lady gets healed, and she's, then she loses it. She gets healed, she loses it. And finally, Branham says to her, Lady, you need to go sit on, under Brother Hagen for a while. And she says, Okay. So she goes, and Hagen didn't move in any of the gifts. He didn't lay hands. He just taught, just like this, just teaching, teaching, teaching. And as she's sitting under the Word, she caught it. She got healed on her own, and then she kept it. So that's really important. Amen? But I believe the prophetic word came to me, and he said, you've passed the test of failure, and now you're going to pass the test of success. Failure in the sense that when we do things and it doesn't seem to be working, we're plowing, we're, we're prophesying, we're doing, and it's like, and, I, and in all reality, we haven't failed because Isaiah, when he prophesied, God told him in chapter 6 of Isaiah, prophesy, he said, Lord, how long? He said, till there's nobody left. That's like a really strange church growth pattern, you know. So preach till everybody leaves. It's like, okay, thank you. And he says, prophesy, and then, by the way, no one's going to listen to you. Okay, so that takes a lot of obedience. That's, like a, that's passing the test of failure, because why are we doing this? Are we doing it to be famous? Are we doing it to be praised? Are we doing it for money? We, what, you know? So God works all this stuff out of us. And we learn to just be diligent and obedient, and you do it whether there's results or no results, because our success is not determined by results. Our success is determined by obedience. So when God said you guys have passed the test of failure, means he trusts you. It means that you've been faithful. It means, it means that now this crossing over you talked about, now there's going to be fruit. Not just spiritual fruit, but tangible fruit. And, man, we got to test, pass the test of success. Because when people start praising you, people start honoring you, and people start, you know, being, you know, that's like, wow, finally, thank you, Jesus, you know. I'm telling you. Now, that's why I said I want you to go to First Samuel 15. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I made Saul king. For he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commands. 
So Saul didn't pass the test of failure. I think Abraham Lincoln, he, he failed at so many things before he was president of our country. So many things. He looked like a complete loser. Someone was telling me there's a minister that if you look at his ministry, he had no fruit, no no results, nothing, until he was 70 and everything just exploded. When he was 70. There's all kinds of testimonies like that. You know, 25 years and all of a sudden everything breaks out. So, you know, you'll be an overnight success, but it may take 30 years. (laughs) You know, all these people that, that we think are famous or that are famous that have so, arrived. You know, I went, I went to a church growth conference not too long ago. I was invited by a friend of mine. And it was all good. You know, Pastor Larry Stock still was there. And he actually prophesied over me and gave me an awesome word. I was really thankful for that. This is a couple of years ago now. And uh, he's got a church in Louisiana. And it's, it's in the tens of thousands, you know. And uh, it's not a seeker-friendly church. They preach the gospel. They decide, they're doing it. And so praise God, there are good, big churches on the planet. So don't have a small-minded mentality. Every, every big church is bad. No, it's not. Amen? Because eventually, you're, you're going to have a big church. I said, eventually, you're going to have a big church. All right? You're going to have people to care for. You're going to have ministry. That's why you're being trained, because the leaders, are, you know, they can't do every, everything, Right? You're going to be doing the work with them. Hallelujah. And there was a couple other men that were there, and they, had, they all had these huge churches. And so they started to teach on how to grow your church. And, of course, any pastor that has a small church wants to learn how to grow your church. So, I, you know, got my notes out, and they're talking about praying. I'm like, check. You know, and then <laughs> they, they talked about, you know, have integrity. And I'm like, check. I'm like, yeah, okay. And, I'm, you know, I'm listening to that. It's a really simple teaching. And everything they said was good, and it was all God, but it was very just basic and all basically, honestly, all the stuff I was already doing. And then it dawned on me, as they were ministering and giving testimony, each one of them, there was three main guys, and each one of them talked about their natural father, their biological father. And I remember Pastor Larry was talking about how his dad, who started the church that, that's this huge church now, his father, Pastor Stockstill, senior, he would work some kind of a construction job or something, or he was some kind of a laborer, and he'd go to work early in the morning, wear his work clothes, and he'd bring a suit with him in the car. And at lunchtime, he would get dressed in the suit and go pray for people in the hospital. That was his lunch break. And he'd go minister to people. And then when he was done, he'd get back in his work clothes, and he'd start, he'd start working again with his natural labor job. And so my point is, is that a lot of times we look out in the world and we see what we think is success, but you, we really oftentimes have no idea how they got there. And somebody always pioneered that thing. So a lot of times by the time you see what you call success, you don't see the blood, sweat, and tears and the years that went before that. You're like Brother Copeland, for instance. Um, that, that was a great, one of the great secrets of Oral Roberts' ministry was not just the healing. I, I, one of my best friends, is, his name is Dr. James Horvath, and he was very close to uh, Oral Roberts. He, was, he's a, he got his doctorate from Oral Roberts University. He's an Assemblies of God pastor now, about two hours from where I live. And 
he's someone that I'm really, really close friends with. So I get to hear all this behind-the-scenes things that, that have happened that most people don't know, don't know about. Things that Dr. Lester Sumrall went through or things that Kenneth Copeland went through or uh, Miles Monroe went through or, you know, all these people. And, you know, this, he was telling me, Pastor Horvath was telling me one of the secrets that he, that he learned about Oral Roberts' ministry was not the healing. It was that he would take a nobody and make him a somebody. So, he, so the, a lot of these guys that are famous today, it was because Oral Roberts, gave, he gave them a platform, he raised them up, and he, and he released them. All right? So I'm, I just, I heard this word. I want to meditate on that word, but I heard that really clearly. They've passed the test of failure. Now get ready. Tell them they're going to pass the test of success. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's look at it in the Word, and let's see what we need to do. So, so God tells Samuel, I've regretted making Saul king. He's turned his back from following me. Can you imagine the heart of God? He sends revival, miracles, power break out, and the people mess it up. And he says, I regret that I did that. It's not that God is wishy-washy, but he's wanting us to handle things rightly. Amen? First Samuel fifteen twelve, And Samuel rose early in the morning. Actually, it says he, he, he was distressed and cried, cried out to the Lord all night long. What a heart that is. Amen? He wasn't quick to judge. He said, oh, God, good. I'm sick of Saul, too. I'm glad you're rejecting him. Let's move on. You know, he's crying out to God. Amen? He rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he's, he set up a monument for himself. Oops. Did you hear that? He set up a monument for himself and turned and proceeded, proceeded on to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. All the religious language. But in verse 3, what was the command? Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him. Put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. That was the command. Praise God, we're in the New Testament. Pastor Graham has a hard time killing a chicken. I mean, come on now. I mean, can you, can you imagine if God told us to do that? I mean, how, praise the Lord, we're in the New Testament. I don't think I'd have an easy time doing it too. I'm like, oh, you're so, you know, you know, and then I don't know. So the command was destroy everything. In verse 14, Samuel says, okay, if you carried out the command, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, oh, they've brought them up from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. So he's passing the blame. To sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, isn't that a good intention? How nice. But it was disobedience. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. So he's compromising. Then Samuel, see, that's how you pass the test of failure. You are obedient without compromise. So God's saying you've passed the test. You've been faithful. You've not compromised. You've stayed true. You have stayed on the word. You've done everything that you've known to do. Even when you failed, you rose up again. You said, Lord, we're going to do it your way. I don't understand this, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And God says, you pass the test of failure. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said to him, speak. 
Samuel said, this is what I wanted you to see. Is, this, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But what I want to emphasize was how Saul saw himself. He was little in his own eyes. Are you hearing that? Now let me read a very interesting verse to you and contrast it in Romans chapter 12. In verse 3, it says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each one a measure of faith. For we, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let each exercise them accordingly, a prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Measure of faith, proportion of faith. But this is the point. Saul did not pass the test of failure. David did. David was on the run for many years, and it looked like everything he set his hand to was failing. But there came a time when he became king. Can you say amen to that? But when David became king, and when he started having success, there were other tests that he had to pass. And other tests that he actually failed. Think about Bathsheba. Think about when he numbered Israel. It's just like when you're scraping by to, and you have no money. You have to believe God for every penny and every dollar and every, you know, every little thing. And then all of a sudden, abundance comes. You know, you used to have to have faith just to have, just to have gas in, the, in the, your car. Just where your, where's your next meal going to come from? How, how are you going to buy your clothes kids? Or your, like your clothes kids. Buy your kids clothes for school. You know what I'm saying? And see, we, we learn to get by and we learn to have faith and trust God for every little thing. But what happens? I really feel like this word is preparing you guys because, and me too, because what happens? What happens now when all those things that we struggled to receive now are coming in abundance. Healings are coming in abundance. People are coming in abundance. Money and supply are coming in abundance. And all the things that we were so used to not having now are coming. What are we going to do? We've got to pass the test of success. And how are we going to do that? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Amen? But here's the other side of the coin. I don't want this to sound like a contradiction, but do you realize what you would have to think about yourself for, for you to think more highly than you ought to think? See, if we think it's us by ourselves, that's more highly than we ought to think. But if we're making confessions based on the Word of God who's, that says who we are, yes, I'm a son of God. Not because I'm great, because God is great. I'm the devil's master, not because I'm great, because he's in me. So you have to say it with that understanding. Amen? So don't be afraid to think, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Be afraid to think, or you know what I mean, cautious to think, that you're great apart from him. In him we live. In him, he, in him we move. In him we have our being. So I just want to drop that on you. Yes, I just really feel like the Spirit of God said that to me. So, I, I mean, I really heard it. He said, 
they've passed the test of failure. I felt like I was included. Like, thank you. And now we're going to pass the test of success. Amen? We can't shrink back when the good things happen. Amen? Sometimes, some, see if we, but if we remain small-minded, then it's somehow you get comfortable living in the cave. David, was alt- his destiny was to be in the palace, but he's on the run from Saul. When you, fir- when you first get into the cave, you know, it's wet, it's cold. But, you know, he was on the run, was it like 14 years, wasn't it? I mean, that's a long time. You know, that, that hard rock he slept on, it probably felt a little softer over time. He got used to it. Did you hear that? He got used to it. Isn't that when God stretches us? Right when we get used to it. Every time without fail, he pushes us to another level. He expands our faith. He challenges us again. And so I just feel, <clears throat> I just feel in my heart that many of us have been used to sleeping on that, on that jagged rock in the cave. And God has used it. He's used those hard places and those hard things to form character in us. Amen? But your destiny is not to live in the cave. That cave was to shape you. That cave was to fashion you. That cave was to form you. Amen? Hallelujah. So that when you get into the place of being over people and ruling and carrying out God's government, you're not going to mess up. Hallelujah. Come on, are you trusting in Him? You received the word of the Lord? Does that bear witness with your spirit? Praise God. Well, Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you for speaking to us. Hallelujah. Help us to pass the test of success, Lord. We have your help and we'll do it by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm on page 68 now. Uh, we've got, just got a couple more pages just to make sure we got all the sacred cows gone. See, what, what all this is doing is removing limitation and hindrances from you. All right, the anointing that abides. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of times we talk about the anointing. We just read in, in Romans, we differ according to grace. So sometimes we interchange the word anointing with grace. So don't get hung up on the word. Sometimes I still use the word anointing like there's an, an anointing on that person. It means like the Spirit is on them to do that. Amen? So don't... don't Anything can be taken to an extreme. You with me, guys? Don't let this make you judgmental. Amen? Do you remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, this is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus gets on the scene. He starts doing all the work. Then John gets hit. He gets thrown in prison. Doubt hits his mind. He sends messengers. Are you the one? What did Jesus do? Did he rebuke him? He said, go tell John. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. He was gracious to him. We must always keep that in our hearts. We never, we're never going to think we're better than other people that don't know these truths. Our job is to help. Our job is to love people. Amen? We must always maintain that graciousness in our hearts. So the anointing, the anointing that abides is... is more than anything is a position of sonship. The New Testament anointing means that we're sons, and that's why the Holy Spirit is, is in us and upon us, because we're sons. So the Son of God in us is, is, has a healing anointing. 
he, the son is a prophet. The son is apostle. The son, the son is an evangelist. Amen? So we're anointed as a son. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. All right, so we'll go on. The truth about Holy Spirit baptism. I haven't really talked about that much. All, that, all that's really referring to is when we think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit coming upon. So when Jesus receives the baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Is that right? And when you think of that, you just think in terms of the Holy Spirit is the reason why we can do what we can do. The, re- the, the way Jesus accomplished what he accomplished was by the Spirit. So he was a man, but he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was clothed with the Holy Spirit and with power. You say amen to that? Now just picture, picture a crane, and your, your job is to work in this junkyard, right? And, you're, and you need to use this crane, and you need, it has a huge magnet on it, and it lifts these cars, and you put, you put these cars in a pile, and you're arranging all this. Now, you got the picture? Okay. So, by yourself, no, none of us could lift a car, right? Unless you're Spider-Man. But you can't, you can't do that, okay? You can't lift a car or a truck. So, it's, it's humanly beyond you. You can't do it. But, the company you work for has given you a crane, and you're sitting inside the crane, and this crane has a controlled environment. It's really hot outside, but there's air conditioned in the crane. And you have your Coca-Cola next to you, or your water, your lemonade, or whatever, your tea. And with very little effort, you are operating this crane, but the crane is doing the work. You got it? The company you work for is the kingdom of God. You're the person in the crane, and the crane is the baptism of the Spirit. That's why we've got to learn how to operate. And remember, we're not violating anything because it's the will of the company. It's the will of the kingdom. If you do it presumptuously without that sending or that authorization, then you're wrong. But if you're doing what you're, what you're hired to do, you can't be wrong. Amen? So you have pre-permission to go out and cast out devils, heal the sick, witness, and do all that stuff. Amen? Okay, let's move on. Uh, Paraclete, the helper, sent alongside to help. I I gave you that illustration. That's when I had Jr. follow me around, and he was the helper. Remember that? So we won't talk about that. Jesus only healed those who came to him. Uh, Well, that's true. He healed all those that came to him, but uh, there's so many scriptures that talk about how he healed all. Is that right? So half the time it was their faith, half the time it was his faith. Now let's look at this this one in Matthew 13. I mentioned this to you, but I want you to see it. It's good to look at the Word of God. Matthew chapter 13. The sacred cow, he could do no mighty works. He could do no mighty works. So let's read what it actually says. In chapter 15, Matthew, am I in Matthew? Yes, okay. That's not the right scripture, is it? Oh, 13, sorry, 13. Okay, verse, let's start in verse 53. It came about that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. And coming to his hometown, he began teaching them in their synagogue. 
So notice, oftentimes before miracles happened, it was preceded by teaching. He taught. So the treasure hunts, in my opinion, that's a way to get you active. It's not that things won't happen. They will happen, and we should do it. But the point is stirring up your faith, crossing that you know, the chicken line like they were talking about, and just doing it. But then there's also going to be times when you're going to have to teach on stuff because that's the other component. Why did Lake have healing rooms? Why did, why did Dowie have healing rooms? It tells you not everything's always going to be instant so that, so that you're going to have to get the word in people. Amen? But we shouldn't limit God. We shouldn't, we shouldn't go out and assume, well, nothing instant's going to happen. No. Put your faith out there. Be bold. And let God give you the result. Amen? That, that's the mentality. Hallelujah. So he begins teaching in their synagogue, and they became astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? So did they acknowledge he had power? Did they acknowledge he had wisdom? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, 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 it not, is not his mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they're acknowledging he's got power. He has wisdom. He's got teaching they've never heard before. Verse 57, And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. There's another, another version that says, he, except he healed a few sick folk. All right, so the, the point is, is that because they were familiar with him, and they said, wait, we know who your mama is. We know who your brother and sister We're not coming to your meeting. You're nobody special. You grew up here. You're just, we, you know, we, we grew up playing with you. We saw you grow up and all this stuff. And so then, so then it, they wouldn't come to the meeting. Are you hearing that? All right, that, that's, that's the deal with that. All right, can sin stop a person from being healed? James chapter 5. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. All right, so sin can't stop someone from being healed. You also have the scripture about when the unclean spirit goes out of a man. What happens? He goes, he finds seven more devils, more wicked than himself. Then he comes back and he tries to see if he can enter in. So Jesus would say, go and sin no more. So sin can't stop it from happening, but if you don't clean up your life, that thing's going to come back on you. So it's not a license to sin. It's the goodness of God. It's the mercy of God. He's setting people free. But don't take advantage of the grace. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. And then Jesus said in the same story that when the unclean spirit goes out of the man, he says, so it is with this wicked generation. That's also a key. Simply means that if you if you're really a child of God, you're not going to live in sin. We're not going to say you know sin less and less. 
Okay, you got that? Okay, yes, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Let's give it in context. Second Corinthians chapter 12. You know, if you read, just if just as a side note, if you, if you read the rest of Luke 10, we've talked a lot about going in the city, heal the sick they're in, and so on. But if you read the whole chapter, he talks about how judgment comes basically because um, they didn't receive it even when, when miracles happened. He said if the same miracles happened in you that happened in Nineveh in these different places, they would have repented. That's important because you can still get results even if people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. All right, because God, God is, is faithful. He's never going to leave himself without a witness. Is that okay? I, I wrote down some things that I want to make sure I bring out. Hallelujah. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. And in verse seven. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, say for this reason. So everything he's about to say that happened to him was because of the abundance of revelation. Is that true? How many here have written the next book of the New Testament? That's good. So you're not in the same boat just based on that. I'm serious. What was he what what is he doing? He's writing the New Testament. He's having personal interviews with Jesus. That's what was going on when he was being trained. You read in Galatians how many years he spent before he even entered into ministry. All right, so because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, or you could say because of the abundance of word, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. But First Peter, and there's other scriptures that say, if we humble ourselves in the presence of God, under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt us. So there's this doctrine that comes in as though we're not supposed to be exalted. No, God wants to exalt you. But he doesn't want to make you a superstar. He wants to exalt you because of what you're carrying, because people need what you carry. So we've taken this scripture to mean several things. Some, some of the doctrines say that Paul, they, they take the scripture in Galatians to back up this false teaching. And they say, well, he says at the end that he wrote Galatians with large letters because he couldn't see. He had this stuff coming out of his eyes and he couldn't see, and so he's, write, he's writing big letters. That's what they actually say. I don't know if you've heard that or not. But it, but it didn't say that. He said, see what a large letter I write to you, not with large letters. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. 
like a giant, you know, B. I can't, you know, then D, you know. No, it's not, that's not what it said. Okay, but the fact is, when he came uh, to Galatia, he w- if, you, if you read Acts and you find out where he went, he was in Lystra. Lystra was in Galatia, and that's when he was stoned. You hearing that? It's my opinion, that's when God, that's when he was, well, I'll hold that. Okay, thank you. Anyway, the bottom line is, if you were stoned and God raised you from the dead, you're probably not going to look too great, even though you're alive. My point is, he was bruised up. He was hurting. And so when he comes to Galatia, to Galatia and you read, or you read the book of Galatians, he talks about how I was among you in weakness and trembling and, you know, and all this stuff. And so we think, oh, he was sick. No, he just got stoned. He, he, I mean, for all, for all we know, he could, his arm could have been in a sling. He could have had a broken arm. Maybe his eye was black. His face was swollen. But, you know, he got up anyway, and he's doing the work. All right? So that's what was going on. The second thing we need to see in the scripture is his terminology. So God wants to exalt us, amen, provided we're declaring his word. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Amen? So if we're speaking the word, God will make sure that the word gets out. Dr. Jonathan always tells us, you concentrate on the depth of your ministry, and God will concentrate on the breadth of your ministry. That means that he's going to promote you. He's going to expand you. He's going to make sure you get in front of people. So God, in that sense, God wants us exalted. He doesn't want you to keep the word hidden and you just, all the, you know, no one knows you have all this revelation and all this word and, and, you know, God wants to keep you humble so he won't let you, he, he won't let anyone hear all the revelation you have. That doesn't make any sense because God works on a man. He calls a man. He speaks to the man or a woman. And it's for the purpose of that person having grace for others so they can speak to others. So, of course, God wants to exalt us. Amen? Someone say, God wants to exalt us. So, who, did not, who didn't want Paul exalted was the devil. Because he's afraid of the word. He, know, he knows that what Paul is carrying is potent. And he's, I mean, he's, he's, God's using him to write much of the New Testament. So, he's talking to people about who they are in Christ and the authority they have in Christ and, and how they're connected in the body of Christ and who they are. So, so Satan is thinking, man, I can't let this get out. I've got to take this guy down. And so for that reason, a messenger of Satan or a thorn in the flesh. Now, a messenger is a person. A messenger is not a sickness, it's a person. And if you go in the Old Testament and look up the word, do a study on thorn... A word study, thorns always referred to people. God warned Israel, if you don't obey me, certain people groups, like the Amalekites and so on, there will be thorns in your sides and pricks in your eyes. Alright, so that's the thorn in the flesh. So who so it was a it was a messenger of Satan. You got that? So that means it's a spirit, it's a it's a demonic spirit. Well, how was this? How was this demonic spirit buffeting his body? You read, you read all the things that Paul went through, right? Shipwrecked, stoned, beat with rods. So it was. The Judaizers were filled with the messenger of Satan. These mobs. There's even a verse that says, 
a mob had gathered, and they didn't even know why they were there. That's an X. They all gather together. There's this angry mob, and they don't even know why they're there. Because this messenger of Satan is filling these people. He's trying to stop Paul from being exalted. He's trying to stop the gospel from getting out. All right? Hallelujah. So is it dead? Talk to me. Is it dead? You're not going to have a thorn in the flesh. Amen? If you do, now, well, let's read on. Let's finish the verse. So we've defined what the messenger is. We've defined what the thorn is. And his purpose was to buffet buffet Paul and to keep him from exalting himself. The word buffet means to actually beat. So sickness doesn't punch you. Sickness takes you down gradually. This is talking about a a literal beating. Verse 8, Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Now that doesn't mean that God didn't want to help him. That's, That's what we read into that. God spoke the same way to Moses. Moses began to cry out to God. And God said, Why are you crying out to me? Stretch out your rod and and part the waters, Moses. So what would the New Testament version be? Take up the shield of faith. So we, we also don't realize that he did not struggle with this forever. Amen? Okay, I think it's dead. Now, next page. Let's wrap it up here. We got, we got, we're going to run through this because we, got, we have to make more ground. We'll try to be done by 1230 and have lunch. Amen? All right, Timothy's stomach. That's usually a big one. Okay, Timothy's stomach. Okay, where was Timothy? Timothy was a missionary. Amen? Now, I've been staying with pastors, and they, and they try to give me something called Vegemite. And I thought, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In the name, in the name. All right? Liquid beef, you know, it's just... It's not right. I don't know how you guys eat that stuff. And then they come to America and they say, why do you eat peanut butter and jam? It's just disgusting, right? Okay, so the point is when you're in a different environment and you're having food that you're not used to, you can have tummy problems. Right? And so Paul says, take some wine. Take some wine. Because you could just take a little sip, I mean, a little sip of wine or just put a little bit on the water or just drink half a glass or whatever. And there's enough alcohol in there to kill the germs in the gut. You said, but why didn't he tell Timothy to just trust God? Okay, because sometimes, like I said, power doesn't fluctuate, but you fluctuate. Now, this is really important. I want you to hear this. Let's say you're getting a headache. All right? And you hear this teaching. And you know you're supposed to stand on the Word of God for healing. Right? And this headache, somehow, you're confessing and something's not going right, and you're not, you're not getting victory in this situation. And you're fighting this thing for like eight hours. You with me? Do me a favor. Just take an aspirin, and I'll tell you why. I, com- I would commend you for standing on the Word, but if you need help, get help. That's why I said I'm not against doctors. If you need help, you go to a doctor. All right? But the goal is... 
to grow in faith to where we walk in divine health. But we don't receive condemnation if, you know, especially with kids. If kids need help, get the kid help. If you're laying hands and it's not working for whatever reason, get the child help. We're not against that. I'm not, I don't want anyone to feel pressure or condemnation. And I'll tell you why. As far as you go, let's say this headache, you're, you're you know, as far as you know, you're resisting for eight hours. Well, you know what? If you took that aspirin, that would knock it out in 15, 30 minutes. And then you could be going out with JR to do a treasure hunt and minister healing to people. But see, if your mind is on you, I'm resisting. I can't do this. Okay, just relax. I'm not saying compromise. I'm not saying lean to everything. And in fact, that's another thing with medicine. If you're on med- medication... All right. I don't tell people what to do with medication. I don't tell them to, to take it or not take it. Because the fact is, if you're on medication and your body gets healed, your body will go through a reaction. It will not receive that medication anymore. So some people say, do I have to get off my medication for God to heal me? If, you, if we were dependent on your faith, yes, but we're not dependent on your faith. We're ministering life, and it's according to what we say. Amen? So don't Again, don't condemn yourself. All right? Don't don't get into legalism. Amen. God loves you. God's for you. He's he's giving you strength. He's helping you grow. Amen. So you got that? So if you're on medication, let God heal you. Your your body will know, "Hey, I'm healed from this." Like the people that said they got healed from depression. We didn't say, "You're healed now. Be happy." Right? We spoke the word, released life, and they're coming out. Hey, I got set free. Hey, so God did it. You know, when he does it, you know that he did it. And there's no question. It's not like, should I take it? Should I not take it? Am I, you know, am I in faith? Am I not in faith? Your job is to rest and just trust the word. Act on the word. Do what you know to do. And then leave it to God. Amen? All right. So that's Timothy's stomach. Let's, how about the guy Epaphroditus? Most, what's interesting is most, most you know, Christians, because they've been trained in unbelief, they can somehow remember Epaphroditus' name. Wasn't there one guy Paul prayed for he didn't get healed? But they can't quote you five scriptures about healing. Isn't that interesting? Well, Epaphroditus, it says that, okay, did you hear what they said today? They're talking about testimonies. They left people sick in the store. They laid hands, and they, they didn't see any instant result. So in that sense, they left them sick. I've prayed for people. The girl I prayed for in Slovenia who had arthritis, I laid hands, and nothing happened physically, so I left her sick. But she got healed. So Jesus cursed the fig tree. Time elapsed. So when Paul says, I left Epaphroditus sick, it didn't mean that Epaphroditus stays sick. It means that the gift of healing didn't manifest to do an instant work. But what happened is, what is promised, they sh- believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All right, so he recovered. That's why even the anointing with oil, in those days, that was a type of medicine. So it's like, you know, call for the elders if you're sick and you, you can't get out of bed. You know, go bring somebody some chicken soup. But don't just give them chicken soup. Do the practical. That's all right. We're, you know, if someone's cold, you know, like, like 
your son was cold, and it, while I'm thinking, man, you know, it's cold in here. I had a, I had a sweatshirt. I said, put, you know, take, take my, take my sweater here, son. You know, are you hearing that? Okay. Is that all right? Inherited authority versus delegated authority. We've talked about that. Amen. We have all authority in Jesus. Amen. He has all. Delegated authority means it's an authority that ends with an assignment. Inherited authority is because we're in the family of God. Amen? Rebuke. Rebuke is the highest form of scolding and reprimanding. So we're to rebuke the enemy. We're to tell him he has no right to be in people's bodies. He has no authority. He's in violation of God's word. He is renegade. He's a rebel. He's a liar. He has no authority to be, to be afflicting people. Telling him that is a rebuke. Saying, I rebuke you is not a rebuke. Okay? Next one, the gospel of the kingdom. All right, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus, the apostles didn't, or Jesus didn't preach. He didn't go around saying, I'm going to go to the cross and die for your sins. Did he preach that? No, he demonstrated the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom was not only what he said, but what he did. So it wasn't the death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we have the kingdom. Amen? But what he did was he demonstrated and preached the, the superiority of the kingdom of God. Amen? Next one is open heavens and closed heavens. We believe in open heavens. We believe they're open 24-7 to us as sons of God. But they're not always open over our city. And they're not always open in environments. So the concept is we are to change the environment. We're not to be dependent on an environment. That's just like when the spirit of prophecy, it says when the spirit of prophecy comes, everybody can prophesy. But if you're dependent on the spirit of prophecy to prophesy, you're dependent on an atmosphere. So what you need to do is practice, and as you practice, the gift becomes active, the gift of prophecy, and now you can stir the gift with or without an atmosphere. So, so any of us, we can call you out, begin to minister to you prophetically without a so-called atmosphere because it's within. So we stir within, stir up the gift within, and we use that to make the atmosphere or the heavens open. Amen? Got it? All right. The battle is the Lord's. Depending on how... See, now, you notice that many of this... Many of these things are scriptural statements or parts of scriptures. So the battle, of the, Lord, the battle is the Lord's is in the Bible. But the context or how we use it and how we apply it and understand it is what matters. The battle is the Lord's, but we're involved with the Lord. He's working with us and we're believing. The way most people use that is it's a passive thing. Oh, God will just take care of it. Oh, God is just going to do it. Oh, whatever God wants to happen will happen. Then why did he tell you to, to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done? Why did he tell you to speak to the mountain? Well, God will move the mountain if he wants. No, he won't. He told you to speak to the mountain. I remember, I remember a testimony. Uh, Dr. Jonathan told us in one of the schools, he was talking about Brother Hagin. He said how the Lord appeared to Brother Hagin, and he was, and he was speaking to Brother Hagin. And I think there was an angel too or something. And what happened was, is as the Lord was speaking, the devil got in the way. And he could not hear the Lord anymore. So he's like trying to hear, you know, the Lord is trying to look around this devil. 
And then, and then he's trying to figure out why isn't Jesus moving the devil out of the way. And then finally it dawned on him, that's his job. So he said, devil, get out of the way. I can't hear what he's saying. And then the devil left. And he said, Lord, why didn't, why didn't you tell? He said, because I've given you the authority to do that. Amen? So that's the battle of the Lord's. That's the, that's the right way. Next one, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. That's kind of the same, depending on how that's used. It, it can be a similar passivity. It's like a wrong perspective of God's sovereignty. God gave us his spirit to use. Amen? He uses us and we use him. We're working together. Amen? So we say that. It's a scripture. Not by might, not by power. What we should mean is not by our own strength. It's not by our own efforts. But we're still aggressive and we're still doing it by faith. Amen? Old covenant versus new covenant, that's really like the first two days, right? That's pretty much all I've talked about. And if you want to just sum that up, you're not evolving, you're a new creation. You're growing, but you're not evolving. You're developing, but God's not adding to you. You are growing up into Him. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. That's a, lot, that's a big one. I, I haven't mentioned that at all, I don't think. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Can, can we stay like 10 more minutes? Are you okay? And then we'll take a good break, all right? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, just as it is written, things which eye has not seen. I'll give you a second to get there. Sorry, I'm moving fast. Look at verse, let's just read it. Verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So Jesus is testifying in the heavens to God about you and I. Do you believe that? That's the proceeding word. That's the prophetic word. Are you here? Verse 2, I determined to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Not your past, not your culture, none of that. What Christ has done for you, that's how I want to know you, that's how you should know me. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now this is, a, this is an aspect of power that sometimes we don't realize. It's, there are times when the Spirit of God, He makes sure that you know you're totally helpless without Him. Sometimes I feel so weak, it's, it's just like, God, if you, if, you don't, if you don't help me, I'm done. If you don't, if you don't speak to me, I'm, it's over. If you, so it's like he creates that dependency and a sense of helplessness, but it's not in a wrong way where you are helpless, but you know that without him you are, but you know that he's with you, and you're just, it's like you're laying hold of God. Catherine Coleman said it this way. She says, I don't walk out on the stage until I know I'm endued with the Spirit. Until, she said, I die a thousand times, and I know. I don't get out there until I know. All right, so we need to know. Amen? Verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. That means worldly wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those, or we do speak wisdom, rather, among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, 
nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Those are all the devils that are influencing, right? Verse 7, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So can you imagine the devil thought he was winning by putting Jesus on the cross. Jesus was ambushing him. He said, go ahead, take my life. He thought, you know, the devil was totally clueless what was going on. And that by the time Jesus descended in the spirit world, because when, he, when he, he was on the cross for six hours, is that right? Death could not take him because there was no sin on his body. Then he became the sin offering. He said, Father, I'm ready to take all of this. He became the sin offering. And then the, for the first time in eternity, the Father and the Holy Spirit left him. The, the Trinity is separated for the first time in eternity. Is that true? And that's why he said, my father, my father, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why, because he had to become the sin offering. Only the Lamb of God could be on the cross. Amen? So that's, he said that, so we never have to say that. We never say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that. He's our substitute. He took, your, he, he took your sickness. He took your pain. He took your poverty. He took your lack. He took all of that. He took our sin. He treated sin and sickness the same. He removed it. He took it. He is the substitute. That's why we never put up with what he paid the price for. Amen? That's your ground. That's the atonement. Hallelujah. And so, he, so his, I don't want to get too deep into this, but basically, when Jesus' body was in the tomb, he still had an unseen work. And he descended in the spirit realm, and he, he was doing things. It wasn't like, you know, he had nowhere to go. There was something going on. Amen? His spirit was alive. His spirit, his, even though his body was dead, his spirit was alive, and he proclaims the Tartarus. That's the prison house of fallen angels. So there's actually less than one-third on the earth. One-third fell from heaven, but in the days of Noah, Peter tells us some of those angels, some of those false angels and fallen angels were locked up into a prison in the unseen world called Tartarus. So when Jesus gets there, he proclaims to them, I'm the seed of the woman that was to bruise your head. He says, you boys are locked up because I'm, I'm here to take over. Hallelujah. Amen. And then he goes, the bosom of Abraham and a paradise. That's why he says to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's a whole other teaching, all right? So... You can read that. That's, I, I believe uh, that part of that's in Apostolic Strategies. You can read that. But this is important to understand. Amen? That's a book I recommend every one of you get. Amen? Okay. That's good that Pastor Ruth has Apostolic Strategies. Uh, hallelujah. We speak wisdom from above. Hallelujah. All right. Verse 9. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen. So... Here, he's quoting Old Testament. Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and that which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. But that statement by itself is a tragedy because he's saying God's prepared things for those that love him, but their eyes haven't seen it. Their ears haven't heard. Some people get up and say, well, you know, God has such great things for us. Our eyes haven't seen it yet and our ears haven't heard. That's not good. That's bad. Right? Your eyes haven't seen what God has. Your ears haven't heard it. It's not even coming to your heart. That's a tragedy. That's not a blessing. That's a curse. So Jesus came to remove the curse. And so you've got to go from Old Testament to the New Testament. Look in verse 10. But unto us, God revealed them 
through the Spirit. What did he reveal? The things which your eyes have not seen, the things which your ears have not heard, the things that have not previously entered your heart, they've entered your heart. How did he do that? By the Spirit, through the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you now. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So the, so the bottom line is that God, God is revealing His thoughts to us. He's revealing His plans to us. We're not in a place of ignorance. Amen? And He reveals them through the written Word of God and by His Spirit that indwells us. Amen? Milk and meat, we cover that. Milk is not only the basics of the Word, but it's if we're in a place of only hearing. Jesus said, My meat is to do the will. A sacred cow, if it be thy will. All right, it's always God's will to heal. It's His nature. It's always His will. So we meet resistance. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. The goal is to win. Amen? Hallelujah. Fight to win. Let's, let's, we'll get stronger and stronger. You know, you have a saw now, but you're going to get a power saw, and we're going to keep growing and growing and growing. Amen? Hallelujah. It's not God's will that I be healed. Now, that's just a little twist on the same thing, but sometimes people are in that place where they know God is healing others, but because it hasn't happened for them, that seed of the enemy lodges in their mind. It becomes a stronghold. Well, I'm seeing others get blessed, but it must not be God's will for me to be healed and blessed because it hasn't happened yet. Or that's not true because, because he's no respecter of persons. Do you believe that? He's no respecter of persons. What he does for me, he'll do for you. Amen? Hallelujah. God is trying to teach me something through this sickness. All right? That's the Holy Spirit's job, not sickness. The Holy Spirit's your teacher. Jesus didn't say, I'm leaving you with sickness to teach you and lead you into all truth. No. He gave his spirit. Amen? It's not God's time for my healing. It's not God's time for my healing. That's a sacred cow. How do we prove that wrong? Just a quick example is the woman with the issue of blood. She said to herself, if I touch the hem of his garment. So who determined the, the timing? She did. In fact, he, he, Jesus, at that moment, it's, fast, it's fascinating, fascinating because as a man, he didn't even know who, who pulled it out of him. Who pulled the power? Who drew the power? Amazing. All right, next one. We just have a couple more. We're done. If God wants to heal me, he can do it without man's help. Well, that is true, but, again, don't let a passive mindset come on you because he uses man to work. Amen? Lay hands on the sick and they recover. So if I, I, told, I tell my team, if for some reason uh, something's on me and I can't get rid of it myself, see, I'm not going to just, if something hits me, I don't want to depend on other people's faith. I want to win it my, myself. But if I'm going through something, and you know, because we're all human. And if I'm weak or something, I can't get it off me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, call one of my brothers, get this thing off me, or tell my team at home, if, if there's some devil on me and I can't get it off, you better get it off me or you're fired. What am I training you for, you know? I get hit and you don't know what to do. Oh, we're all so, you know, you better help me. Amen, that's, that's how it ought to be. Hallelujah. All right, doctors are God's way of healing now. No, Jesus never said, take two of these and call me in the morning. Amen? He never, he never said he sent forth the herbs and healed the people. He sent forth the word. God, the, though he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, we're not against doctors. Amen? Not against it. Hallelujah. 
But God heals the same way. It's by His Spirit with His Word. Amen? Healing has passed away. That's like kind of goes without saying that that's, I mean, that's what we know that's not true because we're here. Again, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no, there's no place where it said, you know, it died with the apostles or, you know, there's been healing for, you know, since, since the church was birthed. Amen? And before that. And atmosphere, we covered that. All right, we have the dominion to make the atmosphere. And that's it. That's all, that's all the sacred cows I have uh, that I know of. If you find or hear another one, let me know so we can go in the scripture and, and, and help people. Amen.